0: Pastor Bowman Podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's episode is all about a subject that's near and dear to my heart, which is optics for elk hunting. We're going to cover rangefinders, binos, spotting scopes, do you need them? What do you need? And What are the little nuances that make for a great elk hunting experience? I can't see you, Josh, and that's ironic, because today we're talking about optics. ooh, that is a much better intro than hey Josh, hey Max, I really <laughs> thought that one through, yeah, put a lot of effort into it,
1: <laughs> oh, but man, I was, we were just talking before recording that dude this this one you can do in your sleep, like is there a topic you've done more research on than this?
0: Probably not, I don't know this is uh the reason I've done so much research here too is just it, it's expensive, man. Yeah, like, I mean, you know, every one of these things is something that's an investment. If you're getting a piece of, you know, quality, mm-hmm. something or other. So I've spent a lot of time and it's, uh, guys also, you know, for bow hunting for elk, we should be really specific with that up front. The needs for those three things, spotting scopes, binos, tripe, um, <laughs> what's the other ones? Range finder. Oh, uh, range finders are really specific. Like if you have one that's specific for that setup, it's going to be far better for that. Mm -hmm. Um, if you have a generalist one and we can talk about, Hey, you know, most guys are probably going to go generalist ones and there's some trade-offs and ways to get around that. But anyway, it can, it can make or break your experience. I mean, I remember when I first got really good pieces of glass and equipment, it's, it's amazing. So, and even if you already own this stuff, um, I've got a ton of tips and tricks on little things or thing, accessories you can buy that change your elk hunting experience. So yeah, it's a good one.
1: Yeah. And I think it might've been around this time when I bought mine last year. And the reason Mm -hmm. I say that is because I'm pretty sure I asked my mom and my brother and girlfriend to split it for me for my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) It's expensive, super expensive,
0: (laughs) but it's definitely bought. These are all buy once, cry once type of things. Like it's going to hurt when you buy it, but you're not going to regret it. For years to come right um, oh man you're an expensive literally. friend back here with that line yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they literally will last for 10 20 years so buying a good ones you know listening to this conversation really thinking it through is well worth the money because you, you do it and um, we'll get into that later but you even i remember you we bought a few different pairs and compared them for you so
1: yeah uh, i bought three pairs and compared them all and uh i had you know, uh, them all split the cheapest one and ended up returning it. And I just pop out of my pocket, put some more in for the more expensive. Yeah. I, yeah. But uh, the money. Yeah. <laughs> From a high level though. So what's the big things we're going to cover today? The types of optics.
0: Yeah. Let's just go down the list. and Maybe we start with uh spotting scope. So we've got a pretty good <laughs> point of view there. Yeah. And we so just we go then spotting scopes. Range finders, and then we finish on the big one, which is binos. Cause cool spoiler alert everybody needs a pair of binos um, but there's a lot of things there so uh, so maybe we just kind of go down the list and you the cool thing about this one too is a lot of these can be me kind of talking at you after you know uh, almost a decade of hunting with this style and a lot of other things but this one's cool because you've now all the things they told you you got the tests for a mm-hmm. year or two so you're you've got it a, a po- definitely a point of view as a guy who's you know dealt with it um,
1: and most and of you, my, and I think the yeah. common theme of most of that, my point of view is, yeah, Baxter,
0: you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, sometimes, but then, I mean, it's always good, right? Sometimes you challenge your your perspectives, like spotting scopes. I know we're going to talk about that. And yeah, the mule deer thing, you're like, well, you need it there, right? Right. So, right. Uh, which brings me to my first point, which is you really do not need a spotting scope for elk hunting, bow hunting. Mm-hmm. Really don't need one. Um, and it's a total waste of money and space and effort. If you are just going bow hunting for elk and wait, right. And with everything. Yeah. It's just, they are dogs. Um, so, and then I'm going to be really negative on them and then we'll go positive. So don't worry guys that own the spotting scope. Uh, but <laughs> if you're looking at any sort of moderately quality spotting scope, you know, I've tested some of the little 50 millimeter ones, Hey, the quality's just not there. And honestly, binos on a tripod, even 8X binos are just about as clear as a 30X 550 mil in my opinion, but that's just me. Um, and I'm not really doing anything where I need to look at like one little, you know, freckle on an elk's face. So I really don't care. <laughs> uh, so you're looking at a 65 or an 80 mil scope and those are heavy, man. Those are four to eight pounds. And if you, uh, if you don't have your your bag, sleeping bag, and your pad under four pounds, you're doing something wrong. So uh, it's you're just doubling the weight of what you need to carry for no good reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, so full circle and why, why I'm not like saying this is unanimous is there's are exceptions to that rule. If someone, someone's like, I'm an elk trophy hunter. Um, you like really want to be able to see the size of the horns. I don't, I mean, if you can't tell that with binoculars a 1000 2000 yards i'd be pretty amazed too but if you're like no i need to look a mile away and tell if this thing is like a 300 bull or a 240 but you're probably not listening to my podcast <laughs>
1: yeah that's true <laughs> yeah
0: so that's one exception um i mean the other exceptions we both own spotting scopes right for other types of hunting and other reasons and they are great to have in base camp like not leaving the car and like i have spotted plenty of elk a long way away, you know, two, three miles. And it's really nice to whip out the spotting scope and just check out how many elk are there and what they look like and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But largely like the amount of effort. And also let's not forget for a spotting scope, you absolutely have to use a tripod. And I absolutely love tripods for binos. We'll talk about that in a bit, but you don't have to, you can't use the same type of tripod tripod for a spotting scope. has gotta be big. It's gotta be heavy. Um, it's got to support this thing that because there's just any sort of wobble or little kind of variation, it, it, that spotting scope doesn't work. Versus a bino. I mean, you saw the the tripods I'm using last year. I mean, they're like little <laughs> tiny sticks. So uh, very different. So anyway, just heavy, totally not worth it. Don't need them. Um, if you're if you are very specifically bow hunting for elk and you're not um, not like a crazy trophy hunter, even just a mild trophy hunter, you don't need them. Mm-hmm. That's my take on spotting scopes, but
1: yeah, um, and it, it made it, it makes a lot of sense because of how heavy it is, I think, and also if you're gonna have to carry a tripod anyway, like once you have a tripod, you don't need the spotting scope because you have the binos. You just put binos on the tripod, and you're yeah. good. Um, I did find them super helpful when I went mule deer hunting, like you said earlier, mm-hmm. mostly because I don't know, man, like. It, might have just been i have terrible eyes but like of the four of us that were hunting i couldn't see anything and uh the spotting scope ended up helping out a lot and i even then they were all spying way more than me but uh yeah and i i didn't buy it so that's why i own it Uh, we actually got super lucky i'll give a shout out to vortex day uh when i won that new hunter mentorship with identical draw vortex gave like thousands of dollars of optics to like a bunch of new hunters so pretty cool that they supported that um we're not sponsored by them i feel like we say that a lot but well they did that um so yeah i do own one i used it for that but i agree i didn't i I didn't take it out once uh elk hunting just left it in the car
0: yeah and they i mean they've got their time and place like if you're a mule deer hunter my goodness it's like one of your most important tools right same if you're sheep hunting hunting. or Things like, you've got to see these small animals at a long distance. Mm-hmm. Um, and no, you know, for example, mule deer hunting, you've got to plan your stocks. You need to be able to see every little ledge and every little thing. Right. And, yeah. Um,
1: and the animal themselves is like, I think people call them the great ghost or something. Mm-hmm. Like they're, it's the color of them. They were very hard to see, especially bedded It's like impossible. Whereas elk, like you pointed out there, the tan body is just, oh, man. bam man,
0: pop right there. Yep. And if you can't, I mean, we will, we'll talk about this in the binos bit, but we both were using 8Xs and we were glassing Elk at, uh, I think we clocked it at 2.6 miles. Uh, <laughs> and we were, I mean, we had tripods. We'll talk about that too, man. We spoiler alert stuff, but, uh, you can do it just fine with binos. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So anyway, that's, I think we're, we're good on spotting scopes. So I don't want to beat that one too long. It's just, yeah, throw it in the car. It'll be awesome to have it there, but. Uh, when it comes to actually carrying it, that's that's a waste of space, in my opinion. Uh, you're far better, yeah, you know, using your money and weight for other purposes. Like you're if you're going to go half a mile further with five without five pounds, that is oh man going to kill you so many more elk than being able to see them with that spotting <laughs> scope, right? So. so range finders, range finders, yeah. Um, in this one. This one's actually way more nuanced than it, I, th- I thought, and this is one where I've actually screwed up before too. We bought my wife a rangefinder uh, from the same company, a uh, six-hour that I have mine, and I love mine, but it uh, it didn't have one of what I'm calling the three critical features, and she basically can't use it, so we got to sell it at a loss. Um, but I think for rangefinders, the three things that we talked about, i always they got to have one is an illuminated reticle. Like when you're elk hunting you're in the dark timber, um, again, with specific del cutting, right. And you're in the dark timber, it's early morning or late night. You know, you don't have much visibility and a black reticle. (laughs) Oh man. You can't tell where that thing is. And there is, you know, very often pinning it between a little six inch gap and a tree. Right. Um, when I shot my bull two years ago, um, there's a six inch gap in a tree. So basically I had to put it on one tree and keep it in scan mode and like move it to the other tree. And I saw it jump from, I think it was like 24 to 31. So I knew he's at 31, but if I couldn't pinpoint that it's useless. Right. Mm-hmm. And as we've talked about the number one reason, in my <laughs> highly scientific YouTube studies guys miss elk is because they don't have the right range. Right. Um, and then so, uh question yeah. for those who don't know what a reticle is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the little tiny target thing in the middle that tells you where you're aiming got you know, it. with the with the range finder. So yeah. illuminated reticle, really important. It's got to be waterproof and it's got to have angle compensation. Those are the three that are like mandatory. Um, and a lot of low end range finders don't have those three. So buyer beware. Um, if you don't have those, you will, you will want it. Uh, uh, and then the waterproof one, I think we talked a lot about this. And this goes a little bit with how I carry, but um, even if you don't do the same setup, at some point it's gonna be on your chest. Like having your rangefinder easily accessible is one of my probably top five year setup points. Um, a lot of guys that put them in pouches, they stick them under things, they don't have them on a lanyard. That, uh, that drives me nuts. I I put mine on a lanyard around my neck and I just put a little tiny women's hair tie around the strap of my bino harness and I just loop that around the rangefinder. Mm-hmm. So the thing is literally sitting exposed right next to my binos in the same position always right and i can have that thing out and range something in probably under a second mm-hmm. maybe two if that um and that's silently too right totally silent um, and that's really important but if you're going to keep your range finder in anything that's even remotely accessible even if you're going to be one of those guys that wants the special little pouch that's probably going to make a ton of noise and take a ton of time to get it out but i'm not biased, right? Um, <laughs> you're going to get it wet. Cause if you have it on your chest, it, you know, it's going to rain, but even more importantly, you're pushing through wet brush. You're doing X, Y, Z. And we've talked about how you can't really wear rain gear when you're hiking. Like it's going to get wet at some point. Um, if that thing is not waterproof, it's going to fry. Mm. Uh, so mandatory, right? Got to have mm. that. Um, and then the last one, angle compensation, I'm just ranting a lot today, Josh, stop me. But uh, like I said, I'm passionate about these things because I've wasted a lot of money. Uh, the angle compensation, flat shot in elk country, as you <laughs> kind of now know, <laughs> uh, just doesn't really exist. And so having angle compensation, which is the computer in, um, for example, straight line angle ranging, no matter where you point it, would just say, hey, that's 40 yards. Mm-hmm. But if you point it downhill and it says 40 yards, the effective range, so the, the, the lateral distance straight out, which is the the distance that dictates how much your arrow falls mm-hmm. might actually be like 28 yards. So if you aimed at 40 yards, you'd shoot over the back of the animal versus 28 yards to be spot on. So you have to have a, a rangefinder that has angle compensation built into the computer uh, so that it can tell you if you range downhill, what distance you should aim for, not what the actual distance is because otherwise you're going to miss all your shots
1: yeah and the first time that was explained to me i didn't really understand it but i think an analogy that helped is like if you got a laser pointer and you pointed it straight out and it hit something and the line of that laser is like 40 yards then you went downhill and the line of that laser is also 40 yards uh you can't shoot it for 40 yards if you're going downhill because gravity right it's like Mm -hmm. it drops the the arrows dropping way more so you yeah.
0: It's dropping with gravity, right? Um, right. Versus there's more, more time for gravity to work on it if it's going out, you know, mm-hmm. uh, perpendicular to gravity. These right. are all really annoying things to try to say on a podcast. But basically, <laughs> you just have to trust us. The one that will really blow your mind too is that at the same angle up or down is the same amount of drop, but we're not going to go there. Oh, whoa, uh, I did not know that. It's crazy because literally all it is is how far left to right it goes, right? So as you move up or down, you're just shortening that.
1: Interesting. So,
0: crazy right same amount yeah physics wow don't do physics in the backcountry. buy a range finder with angle compensation (laughs) there you
1: go yeah because they're literally if you don't have uh angle compensation it's not gonna work you're just gonna miss right yep yeah unless you're it's it's a perfectly flat shot which it never is yeah yeah Um, exactly
0: um so that's kind of my take on rangefinders. I mean, there's two general strategies with picking the right one. We'll talk a little bit about aperture um, and a lot of these other things that matter for binos, but rangefinders are really small, little tiny lenses. They're like 20 mil kind of things. And uh, looking through them, if you're ranging an elk at like you know, 15, 30 yards, which I still recommend you range unless you're really sure he's within 30 yards. Trust me. I missed one. I know people that have there too. Um, you kind of want a pretty large field of view and to get a large field of view, you need lower magnification. So like a 4X max, a 6X, it's like a really good magnification for bow hunting because it's up close and personal. Now, if you're going to shoot rifle or you want one of these ultra long range, super cool, tactical, you know, ones the guys use for long range rifle, you're going to want like 8X, right? Um, So there's got to be a compromise. And so you have to pick one of two things. Do you either buy one range finder that works for your rifle and your bow? Mm. Or do you buy two separate ones, one that's specific to your bow and then one that's specific to your rifle? And I think that depends on your level of skill with both. So if you're like, hey, I'm a PRS shooter and I love 1,000-yard ranges, yeah, you're going to need that 8 or 10X, you know, big, bulky, heavy one. You should probably get two. Mm -hmm. If you're like the vast majority of guys like me, uh, you're like, I like long-range shooting and it's fun, but I do it, you know, four or five times a year if that. Um, And I like just having one tool because, you know, beware the man with one rifle. You're always familiar with it. You know it you know, a six or seven X zoom, maybe a seven X. Uh, I've got a seven X. You got to have a steady hand. Um, is a good compromise for the two, mm-hmm. but if you're like, Hey, I want purebred elk specific, you know, four, uh, four or five X is great. Cause you're never going to be ranging past a hundred yards. Really?
1: Right. What about guys who have like range finders from like, maybe they play golf
0: or something like that. Yeah. Well, they typically, yeah, they're super bright colors usually, but they typically don't have angle compensation for the that uh, works for hunting, and that's a big it. deal breaker. um I use actually used my dad's golf one when I did my first trip to New Zealand and missed a big red stag because of it, because it didn't have angle compensation. And I shot for, you know, I, I tried to adjust for it mentally, but I didn't know how much we were shooting probably fifty degrees down, which people have a hard time believing. But it was we were we were literally like free falling down cliffs to try to get to find him. Um, so it was pretty intense, but so I've missed I've missed a shot because of this exact thing, right? I'm not making this up. Um, yeah, I've dealt yeah. with it. Um, yeah, so and some other your tips for the angle for the rangefinders too. I talked about my setup for popping them on and off. That's I think that's probably the number one gear most this probably the number one most critical thing to making or missing an elk shot is how easy you can access your your rangefinder. Mm. Um, really, like you're, it's not your bow. Um, set up or all that stuff. Cause if you're under 30, 40 yards, it's that you, you know, if you don't have time to range it, you're hosed. Yeah. And it's a big reason people miss, right? Yeah. Huge reason people miss and that's, Oh, it's so preventable, right? It's such a brutal one um, to do. So I'm trying to think of specific things other than that. Yeah. It's, you know, how to carry it. Oh, there's one I had in my brain, but it's not going to come back to me right now. <laughs> no
1: worries. Uh, I think I spent more on my, uh, maybe even just as much on my rangefinder as I did the binos. I uh, mm-hmm. kind of splurged on the rangefinder. I I saw it was on sale on Amazon, and I was like, mm-hmm. "All right, let's do it." And I'm never gonna have to buy another one.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, that's last a long time.
1: Although I did run out of batteries, and that's the yeah, story for the end. I was going to
0: bring that story up, Josh. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> so. Tell the people what happened.
1: <laughs> oh man! So I went to Nebraska and I used the rangefinder, and it worked just fine. and And then on my like fifth night, it ran out of batteries for some reason, and I don't know if it's because it got cold. We can dive deep into batteries when we get to the accessory section. But then I flew back to flew back to uh, flew back to, uh uh, Idaho, right. Yeah. Idaho to go hunting or, and, or wherever you were. <laughs> and then, uh, I bought batteries on Amazon, got them shipped to me and, uh, before I left. So I brought them with me. Then I drove to like an hour and a half in to camp. And then I was going to go hike in in the dark. And then the next, I mean, hike in the next morning, I was camping in the dark that night. Anyway, I put the battery. I opened the package and I tried to put the batteries, and I bought the wrong ones. So I had to drive out like an hour and a half, find like a Walmart or whatever, and buy the batteries again.
0: I bought like five of them. Yeah, I drove. And that back. was not an easy drive. That's a scary drive with like a thousand foot drop. So yeah,
1: so it ended up being like a three and a half hour round trip thing. So I got uh, back at like two a.m. and then I had to go in for my first day hunting by myself the next
0: day. And I was like, wow, that's a great way to start the (laughs) trip. There's very few things that I think are just worth wasting money on. And that's one of them. Um, When I did the triathlon stuff, we've talked about that in the past. When you did the week or two before your your long distance Ironman or whatever it is, um, everybody has the same advice, which is every battery you own, every software update you have, you refresh it, you put a new one in, you test it for a week and you don't touch it mm. right um and that's that's for guys that have a mindset of hey i trained a whole year for this thing and i don't want one little thing to screw it up and i think that's a really good mindset for elk hunting mm. you trained a whole year for this moment and um you put thousands of dollars you listen to way too many of our podcasts you did all these things and a, a you know six dollar range battery you didn't buy a week before season because you're like well mine's kind of okay could hose it that's a whoo That's going to be a hard pill to swallow. Um, Yeah,
1: that was frustrating. I wasn't even sure if I was going to be able to find that battery. It's just such a specific battery. I had to go to three stores, I think, and one lady told me to go to one store, and I found it there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was afraid that, like, you know, I was in my head, I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I'm going to miss a day of hunting because I'm going to have to, like, Amazon ship one to, like, a restaurant or something and then get it. And best case is, like, I'll find one tonight and miss, like, just sleep really late and luckily that was the case but yeah
0: no yeah. Well, it's it's just a good learning right mm-hmm. um i've had the same thing the other thing is rangefinder yeah, they have these little battery statuses but those are notoriously bad um, especially if you're using lithium batteries which we'll talk about later it's a really important thing to do for a lot of reasons because they're not they're tuned to use the threshold of an alkaline battery um i'm not going to get into the, the battery science here this isn't a tesla battery convention but <laughs> Basically they have a very low lithium batteries are really, really good at a small trickle thousands and thousands of times versus alkaline are just going to slowly decay. And so they're the sensors on the bat on the range finders are tuned for alkaline. So if you use lithium or say you've got a weird alkaline one, it's, it's going to be off. Like it might say full battery and it goes to zero on your next one. So that's probably what happened to me. Yeah. You just can't trust them. You never really can. And it's like, uh, it's guys use red dots and pistols too. It's like you just, every year you just swap out the battery. It's just yeah. what it is. Right. Um, you don't ever want to find where the, the limit is there.
1: Right. That's what happened to me. Cause it, it looked like the battery was just fine. It was like, I think it had gone down one bar and then all yep. of a sudden it was like, boom, gone. gone.
0: Yeah. yeah. Not, uh, not, not, on you know, not unusual. Right. And, uh, like we said, cold nights, things that stress batteries, Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about that before. With phones, if you leave your phone outside your sleeping bag, sleeping, it'll can knock off fifty percent of your battery. Yeah, it can happen with range finders. So if you have a battery that's even half good and it knocks off fifty percent of it, you're now dangerously low. Yeah, yeah. Um, so little things, all the little things, right? They add up. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's that's pretty good on range finders. Like buy a good one and you know, trust it, use it. Uh, the other, the last thing I'd say at range finders is don't. Oh man, I see this all the time. It drives me bonkers. Um don't set up your pins based on the ranges at the archery range or the ranges on someone else's rangefinder. Uh, for example, Margaret and I have two rangefinders from the same company which we discussed, and they both give a different reading by a yard. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't really matter that they're not perfectly accurate, although that does drive me nuts too. What's more accurate is important is that they're repeatable, mm-hmm. right? Because like even if it's 21 yards, if it's always 21 yards, 20, like that's great. Uh, so if you're set up, if you go to the range and you set up at what they're calling 20 and it's 18 on your range finder at 20 yards, that's not a big deal. But if that's at 40 and 60, you know, now things really start to get off. So, and also like, I'm going to scare guys even more, right? I would think things way too much, but what happens if that 20 is two feet in front of you and you're ranging and Hey, the range finders on your face, then you hold the bow two yard, you know, yard out in front of your body. And there's all these little things, right? Mm -hmm. So just do it the exact way you do it in the field, range it. Hey, I'm bang on 20. This is how I set my pins. So use your, you know, use your range finder to set up your bow before the season. Right. And then last thing I'll say, man, I always have to stop myself because I get on these rabbit holes, but no range finder, no matter how good the ballistics calculator is, like there's none on earth um, that's going to have a ballistics calculator that is perfect. Uh, so do go out, do go shoot, you know, 45 degree angles up and downhill, you know, and see what it comes back with and just make sure that it's in the right ballpark um, because they're always going to overcall or undercall by a slight amount. So it doesn't really matter out to 40, 50 yards, 60 yards. It starts to matter past there. It's really important. Um, and I've, I've kind of done those experiments and, you know, it's just good for you to know mentally, Hey, you know, 40 steep downhill, I might add it, add one yard to it or something like that. Wait, uh, what's a ballistics calculator? Oh, uh, that's the, uh, that's the, the software behind, um, the angle compensation. Oh, okay, something okay. That's going to figure out like what, when you throw something through the air, essentially a bullet. Mm-hmm. um an arrow whatever it is how does it drop ah, I, see. I see so they're no matter how perfect that algorithm it's not gonna
1: yeah because like the weight of the arrow is always different right and how many pounded pounds you're shooting fps mm-hmm. but does that affect it all
0: it does a little bit um okay yeah so it just you know like all things test and verify yeah uh, but now we're talking about if you're really really cutting edge and you want to be able to you know drop an arrow in at 60 70 80 yards uh, yeah just a um, personal decision. That was great. Self-control Baxter. Those of you listening, <laughs> I, I
1: almost pulled Baxter into the, the craziest rabbit hole. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, I've definitely have, I'm pretty sure you've explained that to me before, but it was just,
0: yeah. it was probably so deep and well, over my head, but <laughs> no, we're, we're good. We're going to skim right out of that hole. Yep. Go um, right over to binos. Right on the binos. <laughs> we're trying to keep it, keeping it at high level folks. Nothing below the belt. Um, the, uh, so binos, and this one, I've got a fairly unpopular uh, point of view here that I strongly believe. <laughs> so, guys can take it or leave it for what they want. Um, and I think this is like rangefinders a little bit too, where uh, it's it's a strategy, right? Are you going to get one one pair of binos that works for everything you're ever going to want to do, or are you going to get one that works really really well for elk bow hunting? Because um, those are two very different pairs of binoculars. I I. My I'm so adamant about my 8X theory that I use it for everything. I mean, I've used it for hunts where I'm using a rifle at 1,000 yards and I do just fine, but you know, most guys will use other wisdom. So I'll jump right into it. I'm a strong believer in going with an 8X over a 10X um, because of one thing, and that's field of view. So we've talked a bit about this before. It's really hard to um, to figure out on a podcast, but the best way I can say it is that if you're looking at a thousand yards, if you have a eight x binocular, it's going to magnify things eight times. You're going to get a ten x binocular to magnify things ten times. Which you know two x it's a little bit bigger. It's not that much, but what will be very very apparent is your small your point of view, or field of view FOV on the specs of the binocular will be much smaller. So, yeah, for example, if you're looking at a, I'll pull up some numbers here while we're talking. But if you're looking at a 10X binocular, you might be able to see across that circle, a total area of like 280 yards versus with an 8X, you might be able to say 350 yards. Mm -hmm. That 70 yards difference doesn't sound that important, but let's talk about a little bit of math. I'm sorry, guys. Pi R squared, right? The area in a circle. And so, 70 yards on the outside of a circle is a huge amount of surface area. So you actually are almost doubling the size. I think it's just below. It's like 1.6, 1.7 the size of the area you can see in the binocular by moving from 10 to 8x. It's huge
1: huge you difference. Almost double the like the circle.
0: Yeah. I mean I think it's like two thirds. It's like one point six or something like that. Dang. But
1: I didn't huge, know huge,
0: huge different area. And so my whole point on binos is that a bino is not an investigating tool. I mean, it can be, but it's not like a spotting scope where you're looking at the little individual details of something, right? That extra two X really is not going to do that much for you. I'd be just blown away if someone's like, "Oh yeah, that was the difference between me telling if that was an elk or not, or how big it is." That's never going to happen. But a binos' purpose, especially for archery elk hunting, which we're talking here, is to pick things up to find them, right? And the way your eye operates is it picks up motion in an area, so. Whenever I'm glassing, I want the largest field of view and I never want to focus on one little thing. I kind of just want to let my eyes be neutral because the second there's motion or something that they've learned to pick up, they just lock onto that. Um, And so that's why I'm a huge proponent of 8x binos. Um, That's my personal viewpoint. Guys have been hunting elk with 10x binos for years and years and years and years. That's probably the standard advice for a Western quote unquote binocular. Um, You're are you going to be able to hunt elk just fine? Oh yeah, absolutely. But that's just my take. Um, so wow, that was a pretty pretty good rant. But uh, does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it does make a lot of sense. It's
1: uh, because I, I think you summed it up once to me, and you said it's mostly about. Yeah. It's spotting, not investigating, right? Yes. Like you just need to see them and, and locate It's a, Yeah. It's locating them, not like examining, like what exactly yep. what's there. And also the shake factor in your mm-hmm. hands is huge with the 10 X. Yep. You can't spot stuff if everything's moving, like you said. Yeah.
0: And I think that's, you know, most articles you'll see on eight versus 10 X will talk about light transmission and they'll talk about, um, you know, so if you look, you divide it the most, any binocular you're going to use for elk hunting is probably going to be about a 40 millimeter objective. You divide the objective size, um, by the magnification to get the aperture I say aperture, my brain's not working tonight. I oh, was sorry. The pupil, the exit pupil. Um, and that's, Oh man, we're going down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> um, the your pupil as a human being will vary from kind of three to about seven millimeters if my memory serves, but an 8X binocular, you know, 42 divided by eight, um, you're going to get about five. So no matter what happens, that pupil will always be bigger than the pupil in your eye dilating to seven just doesn't happen. It's not going to happen unless you're in a black room. Right. Um, so it's always going to be bigger than your eye. So that means the absolute maximum amount of light that could have gotten into your eye did. Versus oh, well. with a 10x, you know, it's gonna be a four millimeter, right? Forty two divided by eight is five point two five. Forty two divided by ten is like, you know, four point what two. <laughs> wow, that was the easy one and I screwed it up. Um that's smaller than your eye in some situations. So you're going to notice a little bit of lack of clarity at night. Right. But most guys talk that one up. I honestly, I don't see that as big of a difference as the whole spotting and the field of view thing with binos. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, and so, yeah, I, but I'm, I'm using eight X for everything. Like I said, it can be done. And then for you guys that are tweaking, like Josh said, they're like, Oh, I've got to spot things. What's our number one suggestion for binos, Josh tripod, 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 Cause the, exactly what you said, um, all these articles talk about the difference in shakes. There's definitely a little difference there, but it is unbelievable. I could see way, way easier than a 15 X or even a 20 or 30 X. Like I've talked about spotting scope with binos dead still, um, on the tripod. So the tripod is if you want to spot things, it's the most valuable tool for optics bar none. Um, and you can get these little tiny, I think I've got the Granite Peak tripod. You've got the Slick, which I also have, which is a phenomenal value. Uh, Sprint Mini t- 2 or 3, I forget. Um, you can get a really light, tiny little tripod with binos. And that's, uh, you know, like a pound. Like mine is like eight ounces. You can get ones that are like a pound or maybe up to two pounds, pound and a half. And that that investment right there will make so much more of a difference than 2x ever will i mean we were like i said i'm not making that up we used google earth to figure it out we we were looking two over two and a half miles across a valley and we were spotting you know a group of eight to ten elk and you know, i'm not counting tines that's for darn sure but i'm like that's a bull you know what i mean it's a darker color it's um you can see the way it's moving it's next down that's at two and a half miles with a pair of 8x binos so i don't i don't really know what guys need yeah more before than that it. right
1: yeah. And then on the, actually real quick on binos, uh, what are some good brands out there? Like what, are, how does the tiering work for like cheap stuff, medium tier, like
0: really high end stuff? Like what's, what's worth the money? And I think I said darker body, bowl, lighter body, but um, yeah, there's kind of different thresholds. So getting into more like the the aspects of what pair of binos, you know, versus that, that whole thing, like eight versus 10 X um, there's even 12X out there. Some guys use, I mean, again, if you're doing muleys, you're doing sheep. there might be a different strategy, but that's my whole thing. I think there's really only two things that matter in the bino itself, um, really, really matter. One is the glass quality, and then the other is the edge-to-edge clarity. So if we're talking field of view, I'm assuming that you can see from one edge to the other. With pretty much every bino except for the crazy $3,000 Swarovskis, the Zeiss, the Leicas, you're not going to have a flat field of view. And what that means is that you're going to have an area in the middle that stays in focus and is clear. And there's going to be some point, is it 50% out from the center? Is it 80% out? Depends on the quality your binos where the edges start to get really blurry because they're not in the same focal plane, right? They're not, they don't stay in focus with everything else. Mm -hmm. Um, And that again, basically sets your field of view, right? So Mm -hmm. it drops your field of view. And yet another reason for an 8X, especially if you're going with a low, lower grade of Bino, especially get an 8X, because you, you need at you need as much field of view as you can get. Um so that's in so that's one. I'll hit the other, and then we'll talk about the tiers, like you said. So then the other is the glass quality, right? And that that is scientific and subjective. Scientific meaning it's just light transmission, it's the quality, the glass, the clarity, um, the attic additives they fluorided it it's called hd glass right yada 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 um generally speaking the more you pay the more you get we have talked about this before it is funky like certain people's eyes play different with different types of binos Uh, for example zeisses i've seen all kind of have a bluish tint to them uh swarrows are a little richer um nikons are pretty bright Uh, so it just depends some of that is like what works for you and some of that is just like science like do you have quality glass Mm -hmm. Uh, so those are the two things spoiler alert (laughs) like everyone's told you this binos pretty much what you pay for is what you get Um, i think there's a ton of really good binos verging in on that thousand dollar point now but there's really three i I'd call it three tiers let's call it four but let's say that you don't want to get the fourth there's like four tiers of binos there's like the zero to two hundred dollar ones you know maybe three hundred You really don't want one of those. That's going to be a throwaway pair. They're good. They're they're much better than they used to be, but they're just not great. Uh, You can get away with that elk hunting; it'd be fine. But you're going to want to upgrade it at some point in time, and that's going to be more expensive than just jumping to the sweet value spot, which is like three hundred to six hundred. And that's where you ended up going, I think, Josh. Right? I think mine was like three
1: eighty or something like that. I think you're going to
0: five hundred, right?
1: Did I? Oh man, maybe I forget. I spent too much money.
0: Yeah, you got the Vortex Vipers, right? I did.
1: So maybe yeah. you're right. Yeah, I think
0: this is right. a great podcast for Vortex. But hey, they won that one hands down. Um, when I compared the old Vortexes and the Monarch Sevens, I had Monarchs were better, but the new ones crushed them. So,
1: oh, you're right. I spent four hundred bucks, uh, five, almost five hundred dollars on these. Dang! So yeah. I did. I spent less on the Range Finder. Okay, but yeah. still a uh, lot. I mean, I'll have them for for my whole life, probably.
0: Yeah, but that makes guys choke. But um, that's that's the the really sweet spot for binos, in my point, from my point of view, because you get into a bino that's like you said, you can use the rest of your life, and it's really darn good um, for that price point. You know, the next two price points are kind of the like eight hundred to fifteen hundred dollar price point. You know, I'd say like SLC SLCs down to like the monarch HGs which are what I have and absolutely love um, some of the l- lower end Is, you're gonna get um, really really good glass for that um, and but not a perfect field of view. And then when you get up to like the alpha glass like the stuff that's the top which is like three grand 2500 $2, bucks, that's when you get totally flat fields of view just unbelievable clarity. Um, they actually get a little heavier and bigger, unfortunately, but uh, those are like just the crazy ones. So those are kind of the three tiers for guys. I'd say the minimum you want to get is something with HD glass um, that's got a really good field of view. And you'll, I mean, I, I can't remember these numbers off the top of my head two years later, but I think something like the the Vipers you had, well, look them up say something you, you could do something cool <laughs> <laughs> uh what yeah. should i say well, you i want no, to looked at the, yeah right you <laughs> looked at the three different pairs right and you saw yes. the differences in those so, like maybe talk guys through that a little bit so baxter's recommendation
1: as with all things actually most things he's like dude just buy all of them and look at through all of them especially at night and uh in a dark corner of the house or like in the street or something and just see which one you like better. So I bought the uh the Maven C ones, I think. Mm-hmm. The Vortex Vipers and then the Nikon, I think it's the Monarch uh yep.
0: Seven Sevens? It's Monarch Sevens, yeah.
1: Yep. And then so I bought all three and <laughs> put them on my credit card and then they shift here and I just mm-hmm. at night, like super dark, I would just look into the like i felt like such a creeper look out my living room window into the street like the dark bushes like uh way down the street and just see how much detail i can make out of those bushes like can i see every edge and i would just try each one and each one and then i ended up just really liking the the vortex i the vortex and the nikons both did pretty well but i don't know i like the vortex the feel of it and i know they're they've all got pretty good warranties, but for some reason, everybody talks up for
0: Maybe I just like the brand
1: too. It's just a cool brand. So
0: yeah. No matter how them. much you quantify or like all these little things you say, like you got to try stuff and that's that's just the way the world works, right? The guys are always asking for like, what's the best buy now? And I'm like, well, I can give you two or three and go try them out because they might fit your eyes better. It's mm-hmm. just the way it feels in your hand, all the little details, right?
1: Yeah. Then I just sent them back through Amazon. Amazon's super easy to do that. So
0: yeah. Yeah. Well, here's, I mean, this is the perfect example. I'm looking at the article we wrote. I wrote an article on the website about like the comparison of those three because I got to play with them too. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Vortex Vipers field of view at a thousand yards, uh, those had uh, 409 feet. So you'd see 409 feet, uh, about or 7.8 degrees. The Monarchs were like 420, so pretty much the same. But then the Mavens were like 341. right. And guys, I got so much hate mail and so many weird comments on this article. Guys were literally tearing me apart. Like, ah, you didn't, they're obviously different Zooms because one's so much smaller. I'm like, no, 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 no. These are, this like people just don't understand this field of view thing. It's like, no, these are all eight by 42s. And I remember looking, when you look through those Mavens, you could see it's like tunnel vision, right? Um, Oh yeah. How tiny that field of view was. Oh, totally. I was looking
1: at my living room Uh, at the window in my living room, like 10 feet, you know, 15 feet away from me and I was standing from the same spot and I would just put edge to edge. And then I took out the, the Nikons and I took out the vortexes edge to edge way bigger. I can see way farther. Yeah. Yeah. I took pictures too, to, to compare, um,
0: yeah well you could see like half the tree you couldn't see with the other ones right
1: Um, yeah with the same line in the same spot you you can see much farther
0: yeah yeah. so anyway that's just the that's the whole thing check out those specs if you compare one thing between binos look at the field of view um and then use your own you know use your own money or time they go look through them and see what they look like to you Um, but there's i'm not we're not ripping on maven either they've got good binos it's just that c1 compared to those is not a not even a comparison um Granted, it is 150 bucks cheaper. Right. Uh, right. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's kind of the, the point of view on the binos. And they're a worthwhile investment. Like you said, you're, you've are you been using them. You love them. I really liked those too. Um, and I bought the Marx 7s like three years earlier when they had the old version out. Um, and I'm going to keep those. I'm not upgrading or anything for a long time. Margaret uses those ones. Mm-hmm. Um, I use the is nice. What's that? The grip on those is pretty nice. Really great. Yeah. 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 So there's all good things. I mean, there's all the typical stuff you're going to find on some article that, uh, you know, paid writer for bow hunter or some random place wrote. Um, But, you know, warranties matter, weight matters, all these little things. Um, Pretty much everyone's got a good warranty these days. Um, You check into that. There's a lot of little things that we're not going to hit just because you kind of just pick up on them. If you look at the two binos side-by-side
1: yes sir should we touch on accessories i know we kind of hit on the tripod um
0: just get a tripod (laughs) yeah just get a tripod (laughs) and that's that's really it you'll be i have buddies i've hunted with for years and they you make them look and the key to a tripod i'll say this too is a lot of guys get a tripod and they like jam their eyes up in it and they're basically just doing what they do by holding on their face but it's now on a tripod it's like no 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 don't, um, screw in your eye cups, you know, put the binos on the tripod, let them stop vibrating Get totally still, and then move your eyes up into it and don't touch the binos with your eyes. So the binos are completely motionless, right? right. Mm-hmm. Um, and you will be blown away, blown away by how much you can see. I mean, you could, if we were looking, I remember we were looking down at camp, remember that from,
1: Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: Two miles away. And we were watching people. I'm like, Oh, she just shut the door in the car. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's going over to Dave. You know, like all these yep. other things, right? Yeah. Um, and, it, yeah, crazy. It's, it's mind-blowing when you, you see that for the first time. So, tripod's good. The lithium battery for the, uh, as far as accessories, lithium battery is really critical for the rangefinder. We hit that. It's just going to last so much longer, um, and it's going to deal with cold temps a lot better. Lithium batteries are also about half as heavy as an alkaline battery, although that doesn't really matter for that tiny of one. Okay, um, lithium. theme. Got it. But the big one for binos is the harness. In my mind, that like makes or breaks the bino experience, especially for archery elk. Uh, and the reason being is a lot of the time I'm using binos. Um, I don't know if you. I think you might not have because you had the the kind of the harness that came with yours. But a lot of the time, if I'm under 100 yards, I'm actually pulling my binos out and like looking, you know, between trees at these little tiny brown things because I think, hey, is that fur? Or is that? I mean, I'll be looking 30, 40 yards away with my binos a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so having a good harness, you can get one get uh, binos out of one-handed. That's quiet. Uh, that isn't bulky and gets in your way. So you can wear it all the time under your backpack, everything. Um, you know, It's like the rangefinder. They're not useful unless they're accessible. Um, they're very, it's very easy to clip it off and put it on the tripod or hand it to your buddy. Uh, what else? Um you know, waterproof is nice, but like, it's just going to get wet. It's going to get wet. So really, but a really nice harness like that is that's almost as critical as the binos themselves. You have a beautiful pair. And if you leave them in your, your pack, you're just never going to use them.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. I need to get a new bino. harness. mine was just too loud and the binos fell out too long, too many times, but Yeah. yeah, that's a story for another day. Um, cool. We covered a lot on
0: this one. Anything yeah. else
1: that that we that I should have asked? But that we probably
0: missed. we we probably missed something. But hey, that's what this. There's more podcasts are for right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's explain the ballistics again. No, I'm just kidding. Let's, <laughs> let's go. Let's do a dive there. <laughs> um, get the whiteboard out. Yeah. No, but I mean, if it's, I think the last thing I'll say on optics is practice with them all the time because oh. they are the make or break things other than your bow. So I always i mean josh has seen me it looks pretty hilarious but even if i'm like doing a random hike or a random uh day at the bow range that i'm not really doing anything specific i always wear my harness with the rangefinder in it Mm -hmm. because it's become muscle memory at this point to get the binos in or out or to get the rangefinder in or out um i think more importantly the rangefinder if you just get to that point where it's like a part of your body like your bow and you don't think about it uh you know, when I hear a snap in the woods now, I don't like turn and look for it. I'm, I grab my rangefinder first, right? Like, <laughs> but I don't even think about it. Like, that's just part of my like reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, in the same way that, like, your handgun, if you practice with it enough, you know, if you hear something weird, your handgun's in your hand, right? It's the same thing. Um, so that only comes by a ton of practice. So I'd say just wear it all the time. Um, every, yeah. every time you go out, it's uh, great to wear those and get used to them.
1: One note on that is, uh, I remember you telling me to add the rangefinder into my shot routine, mm-hmm. and so I would practice my. The first thing in my shot routine is actually to range, then to begin draw anchors. Yeah, you know, and I would go to the the range, and you know the the things twenty yard twenty yards away indoor range. I'd bring the rangefinder, and I would range it every time, and people mm-hmm. would be like. Hey! Laugh at your, your, yeah, yeah. they laugh at me like, "Oh, you think it moved from twenty yards? Like, what's going on?" Yeah, okay, nope, nope, just practicing.
0: No, and you learn so many little things like that. You learn, hey, sometimes if I, you know, if I fat finger this, it goes into the menu button, right? Or if I. You know, if I aim it at a weird part, there's some sort of um, dispersion on the, the infrared sensor that gives me a weird reading, right? So it's mm-hmm. got to be a very flat thing. And you learn little things. You learn where the edge of the rangefinder is, right? Sometimes that little reticle isn't perfectly lined up with where the laser is going. You mm-hmm. know, tolerances aren't that great sometimes. So you learn exactly where it goes. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of good reasons you know, great reasons to do that. And I'd say that's the number one practice mistake I see guys doing is they just, they walk around. With, if they're lucky, they, they walk around with the rangefinder, but they still don't even like use it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, if you just make it part of your shot every time, like you said, literally every time you go to knock an arrow, then again, it's under a super stressful situation. Elk comes walking in. Uh, you don't go, okay, remember, get the rangefinder. Mm-hmm. It's just already up and you got it because i've heard so many stories of guys saying oh i like they'll came in i was like nervous forgot to do it or they're like i don't think i could do it fast enough or i don't think i could you know range it you might spot the motion um which all like you, you almost always unless they looking right at you you can get away with more than you think uh but it's that's the reason you're gonna miss them right mm-hmm. so it's a tough one to deal with yeah I think that's a good way to end it. Good practical yep. tip for the
1: guys uh, who are practicing out there prepping for next season. Um, yeah. And then just wanted to remind people we are starting a new segment of listener questions where I'm going to surprise Baxter with uh, your questions and he will answer them live on the podcast. So that will be a fun way to add some random fun at the end of each episode um, and answer your questions too. We, we want to mentor and help more people and spread the love of hunting. So yeah, send them to uh, actually what's the best way back to the website, right?
0: Yeah. Just go to baxterbowman.com. Um, you can Google that if you can't find it, but, uh, there's a contact me section there and you can just shoot it. And I've agreed with Josh not to read them. <laughs> <laughs> I will shoot him right over uh, so that he can truly surprise me. which should be kind of fun. Uh, and we'll, we'll do that. It'd be cool. It's just really fun. Like it makes our day every time when people drop us a line and say, hi, like it's, uh, when you do these, you just send them out into into nowhere, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to hear the people like them and there's people listening, you see the stats, just fun, but it's, it's really cool. So always appreciate it whenever guys send email, it's good stuff. Yeah.
1: We want to uh, engage with the community and keep, keep spreading the love and keep the, keep the fire alive. I feel like that's the theme. <laughs> <lately. life>. yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this week I started applying to some draws and got, you know, had my first, uh, I call it vision of September. You know, when you remember that moment when Something, you know, an elk was walking in and you saw one across the canyon and now you need to start scrambling. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, every year, the first few months, I kind of forget it. But right about now, it's like you start to, ooh, it's coming. Yeah. I should have Less- put this in our uh, March check-in episode. But
1: yeah, this Friday with in my one-on-one with my manager, I'm going to put the request in. I'm like like
0: you said, just get it in early, you know, Hey, get I'm taking vacation, this time man. off.
1: Yeah, so it's happening.
0: <laughs> so, yeah. It's pretty easy for a decline three months out, but six months out, almost nobody's going to say no. Hmm. So yeah, man. Cool. Cool.